by God's grace, I dropped my seventh album in 2022, and I decided to call it the end. It's a project I am very proud of. So I wanted to make this podcast to drive home, you know, the heart behind everything that I wrote. This is the End Notes Podcast. Chapter one, hometown. What feels like home to you besides your actual home? And when I say this next phrase, it's no shade to my parents. I had yeah. wonderful parents who raised me yeah. in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yeah. TV raised me. Yeah. So it's like wherever I am, like sometimes when I'm, you know, in a hotel or some other place like that, I'll turn on the TV and look for some of these syndicated shows yeah. that are or some of these reruns. Yeah. And that feels like home. That's dope. Man. I think one of the things that feels like home to me, and this is going to feel like I juked you, but being with you and Chandra. Uh, that feels like home to... <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, like, there's an ease. Right. Kinda, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, when you hang with somebody and you... I don't know, you think twice before you say things like, oh, I don't know, right. sure that, this is going to come out the wrong way. <laughs> right. Or I don't want them to think I'm crazy. Or, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Oh, I can't leave nothing out. And when they come over, I don't want them to think I'm, you know, like, there's an ease, like, right. when you hang with y'all. Um, mm. And to me, that's part of what it means to be at home yeah. is rest, yeah. peace. Yeah. Um, so like on stone, when I'm saying I can't kick my feet up because I ain't home, yeah. tell them put that in stone. One of the reasons I'm like saying that to myself as my foot is kicked up uh, is there's, I don't know, there's just a tension between stuff that feels like home here right? while knowing it's not fully that. It's like, but that's one of the things that's beautiful about thinking about eternity is, oh, God's giving me little glimmers and glimpses. Right. He's giving me little small pictures of what that home is going to be like. Yeah. But for now, it is both a there's rest in God, there's rest and peace he gives us, but this is not the time just to rest. Mm. There's yeah. going to be a time when it's just rest. Right. That's crazy. Right. That's one of those promises from Jesus that I'm like, oh, you just, and you're not just giving me rest for my body. Yeah. Rest for my soul. Right. You know. Um, yeah. There was so much I think about my life as I think about my Christian journey. Yeah. I think about it, you know, from, you know, summer of 02, robbed at gunpoint. There was that. Yeah. Until April 2015, Sam died. Yeah. And that to me kind of is the biggest line of demarcation. From that point, I think my personality and disposition is. Just with all the things that I have, I just feel so content sometimes. I'm just like, God, like you've been good, right? Like, yeah. like yo, my, you know, health has been good, family, yeah, there's things that I wanted in terms of the kids, but, you know, I got a 2018 Camry. That was my dream car. There's Bluetooth in the car, right? So it's like there wasn't really all these things that I wanted. And so I realized one of the biggest shifts for me is when I, re like, I felt like I really resonated with the words of these song of that song after April 2015. Hmm. That I think for the first part, those first 13 years, yeah, I was 
earth did feel very much like home and I was content in the, I I was grateful. I knew that I was going to be with the Lord one day, but I was, I lived with the illusion that everything here was fine for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like Sam's death was like the crack in the foundation that was like, Oh, wait a minute. This thing is not as stable as I thought. And I can't even call it the, foundation it was like the the crack in the eggshell that an eggshell seems sturdy but all it takes is one little crack and you see yeah oh the integrity of this is not as strong as i thought it would it'll crumble and that's what took place for me and i found i never longed for heaven more Mm -hmm. than i did when sam passed because it's like oh wait a minute yeah this doesn't this feels wrong yeah um yeah so so i know like you know it was in 09 when your dad yeah uh passed yeah did uh what did what did that duty that f- was that your first experience with death like that close well, certainly that close yeah absolutely um you know they'd been death of relatives right um or a friend um but i that close yeah absolutely um yeah. death is so strange bro right it takes very long to set in for me at least mm. it was like every day waking up it's like it happened to me again, again. every day yeah because every day of my life, I woke up with my dad being in the world. Right. And then all of a sudden, I don't. So it's like, it took, it takes a very long time for it not to feel like, oh, shoot. Yeah. And it takes a long time for different realities of the fact that this person isn't here anymore to set in. Right. Something you would like to talk to them about. Mm. That you're like, I'll never get to do that again. Yeah. Stuff that you wish you would have said, I'll never get a chance to say that to them. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad died um, two days before I got married. Yeah. It's like that. my dad won't be able to, yeah, see me as a married man. He All met right. Jess. He liked her. They shared some warm moments. But, yeah, and he, you know, he'll never know my kids. Mm. We have this picture of me, my dad, and my grandfather because I'm named after them. It was like the three Williams. You know, there's this picture with, like, William Sr., William Jr., and me. And uh, you know, my son is William the Fourth. You right. know, we didn't get to do that for Williams picture. My grandfather's still alive. He's ninety five, doing great. Right, <laughs> <He's> chilling. <laughs> you know, I hope I get those genes. But, but yeah, it, but death definitely nothing. We know the world is broken. We know unnatural stuff happens. Nothing is as obviously unnatural as death. Mm. Yeah, you just feel it in your bones. It ain't supposed to be like this. No, nah. you're not supposed. Somebody not supposed to stop existing in this. Right, room. I'm not supposed to not be able to talk to you again. Right, our bodies ain't supposed to just give out on us. Yeah, and um, and it shows the fragility. Like stuff feels like certain and stable to us, and there's something about death that's like, oh, a reminder that ain't what you think it is. Right, mm. that's all made out of paper mache, bro, mm. and it can crumble in any mm. moment in the right storm. Yeah, and so. That, so again, it's like trying to hold on to that reality without living in despair. Right. It's like, how do I remember that without just being a depressed person? Right. 
This is like good morning. Is it a good morning? <laughs> Death is just around the corner. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, I don't want to be like that. I also don't want to be like, no, this ain't my final home, so I feel bad whenever I enjoy stuff. Right. That's actually um, disobeying God's command yep. to enjoy the graces that he's given us. Ecclesiastes 9. Paul rebukes people like that in right. 1 Timothy 5. He's like these, it's like these people who act like they can't enjoy food or drink. Hold on. I, mean, I need to remember the exact wording. Nah, he says, um, the spirit says in later times, some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars who consciousness have been seared with a hot iron. He says they forbid people to marry mm. in order then to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving, thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Mm. So it's like we could convince ourselves, oh, no, 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 it's more holy for me to reject some mm. joy because this ain't my home. Right. And God is saying, no, that is foolishness. Right. That's for people who have abandoned yeah. goodness and the faith. Mm. Um, what makes something holy is not, oh, the holy things, the good things, and then all these terrible things. He says everything is holy. Right. If it's received with thanksgiving and mm. prayer, it's the posture of the heart. That's good. So it's not like don't be afraid of enjoying your life. Yeah. That ain't what God is calling us to. That's not what it means to long for heaven. Right. It's receive it with thanksgiving and prayer. Mm. Um, receive it in a way that attaches your heart to the God who gave it yeah. more than the gift itself. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. It's not meant to be an end. It's meant to be a yes. pathway towards that yes. good giver. That's right. Yeah. Or no, no, no. It's like when your kids get a gift for Christmas from somebody that's not you, and you're like, I wish I would have gave you. <laughs> right. Because you know that the gift, right. you know, it raises how they think of the person who gave it to yeah. them. It's like, I shouldn't have let them give them that. I should have gave them that. Right. Um, maybe you're not as selfish as me. On Stone, one of the special things about that song um, is me and Michelle, who's a producer that I worked with on a lot of stuff on here, also... He was crucial to me making this because as I was sending my terrible, I didn't know if they were terrible or not. Right. The song ideas, the sketches. I was like, I need a real producer to affirm me before right. I can feel okay in this. Yeah. And uh, he sat through all my disclaimers. Now, just so you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just be trying some things. So if it's terrible, you can tell me. <laughs> don't feel bad. You just tell me. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but not only was he like, nah, this is dope, but he understood where I was trying to go musically yeah. and he like so this is the thing like I have weird taste sometimes yeah and I just like what I want to like right like I I can be inspired by anything even if it don't have nothing to do with what I'm doing yeah for good and for bad mm -hmm. where sometimes Jessica will be like can you just enjoy this instead of like overanalyzing it right. trying to wonder how you can incorporate it in what you're doing but so when I go through random music phases when I'm listening to random stuff I'm always thinking, how can I learn from this? Mm -hmm. like, and so one of those random music phases was like a psychedelic rock binge I was in, <laughs> right? There was like old vibes like Pink Floyd, that kind of stuff, or even newer stuff like Tame Impala, where it was just like the way synths were used, the textures, the vibes, the feels. Mm. There was like, this is really dope little subgenre yeah. situation that's happening. And there'd be plenty of songs that you know that you just wouldn't think of psychedelic rock. It's not that hard of a genre, but this. Yeah. And um, and I was like, you know what I've really been into? I don't even know if you could rock with this. Like, I like psychedelic rock. He was like, oh yeah, I've been like making some stuff like that. And it was like, yes, these are my favorite creative people to work with. When wow. I say something wild, 
Because even if there was something he like hadn't really been into, he's like, oh, I'm going to check that. Send me some examples. I'm right. like, those, that's where I'm at creative. That's Let's dope. chase that thing. Down. That's Let's dope. figure that thing out. That's dope. Because if I only learn from people doing the same thing as me, then I will just do a as good version of that thing that everybody's doing. Right. But I'm like, if I can learn from all these other sources, I can do it in a unique way. I love it. So Stone was like the analog synth stuff that I love. Yeah. Um, along with the kind of psychedelic rock vibes, it was it was like he got exactly what I wanted to do. And this was when he produced. Um, I had no hand in the production yeah. in this one. And then Big Juice added like a couple, um, added some added yeah. some, some, some little extra sauce on top. But I was like, this is the one I wish I would have produced. And it was like he sent it. I was like, yes, right. that's it exactly. That is exactly that's it. it. But then. But I love how you talked about all those things that came in. Yeah. But then it was like, and then the E.K. Bailey sermon. Like, yeah. where did that come? So it's yeah. psychedelic rock, yeah. synths, yeah. and then throw in yeah. a black preacher. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's not usually what the musicians are playing <laughs> right. behind. Right. Um, though there is an epicness to the building. Right, yeah. Um, E.K. Bailey, founding pastor of my church, Concord, um, first preaching I ever heard, one of my favorite preachers, foundation of expositional preaching, or, you know, like a, what's the word, a pillar. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love to listen to his sermons, even though I have to order CDs to listen to. <laughs> and so I've always thought he's also an incredible preacher and his voice and the way that he delivers it, I'm like, that suits the content well and grips you. And um, when I heard that, I was like, man, I would love to have some preacher there. And I'm always like, I want to find the right moment to have some E.K. Bailey clips on there. Not only because what he's saying will be good and the way he delivers is good, but because it also has special significance to me, the role he played in my life, even though I did not have a relationship with him. Hmm. Um, uh, the role he played in the life of my family. My parents went to the church, yeah. you know, even before I was born. And the way he thought about preaching made it through the life of the church. So that when the current senior pastor, Brian Carter, who's still the senior pastor there, when I'm 17 years old and I preach a sermon, he very humbly, even though he's a pastor of this mega church, sits down with 17-year-old me to look at the sermon I'm working on and to give me thoughts. Wow. My youth pastor, Pastor Stephen Brown, I show him what I'm thinking about. He's like, don't preach from 94 passages at once. He said, pick a passage, right. drill down deep in that, mm. and think about what that means. And like all of these things that have shaped who I am, that's the first way I ever thought about preaching a sermon. Right. Because in part of the faithfulness and legacy of expositional preaching in Concord Church from E.K. Bailey, and that conference, you know, it's expository preaching conference every year. It's still going on. It's, it's a dope conference. Um, that, yeah, it's been a, a blessing to countless yeah. You know, preachers in, in black churches um, that, yeah, they, they just, yeah, has special significance to me. Mm. And for, you know, older members of our church um, or his wife, um, Sister Sheila Bailey, to talk about how joyful it was for her to hear him on that and how much he would have loved to do that. Mm. For older members in the church, like Sister Harris, who, like, when I, like, would go to church as a kid sometime and they'd be, like, singing in some choir, <laughs> Sister Harris, who, so sweet like who's who's still there for her to to ask about it, be like how can i hear that song i heard it. i love it how can i get that right just you know contributes to the significance yeah. of it why can i buy a tape yeah that's right i can't buy a physical <laughs> copy and, you know, go online yeah yeah, yeah.
chapter two. Layers. Even thinking about like Houston growing up there, and it, like me moving back to Dallas after you know grew up in Dallas, obviously moved around. Yeah. But there was something about Dallas that still felt like home. It was just like, if I was in my mom's house and then I went to run to the grocery store, it's that Tom Thumb up the street from my mom's yeah. house. You know? Yeah, yeah. On staff at the church where I met Jesus and where, you know, I spent, you know, a lot of my formative years. And yeah, it just feels like there's a familiarity to it that just feels like this. Even if it's just the nostalgia, something about it just feels like home. But then at the same time, there was also something about it that did it because it was like, no, the last time I lived here, I was 18 years old. Right. It was right. like, oh, I'm going to go eat at all the places I used to eat. All the places I used to eat was Taco Bell, Burger King. <laughs> right. You know, if I was feeling particularly nice, chilies. <laughs> chilies. You know, if you felt like you had a little extra bread. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so that there was like a... I'm home, but at the same time, I can tell I'm not. Right. That I think feels like part of our experience as believers, where there's a lot about this life, this like, oh, I like this. I have this family. I have these things that I enjoy. Yeah. Yet there's like all these very obvious things that's like, oh, this isn't, this ain't it. No, that's real. Like we get used to a lot of things that don't go right, a lot of things that are broken. But every now, at least for me, every now and then something will happen that'll like shake me out of it a little bit. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't forget, like this, this ain't, this ain't it. Right. Um, so when you, when you, when you go back home, no part of you is like, yo, I got to hit up Williams Chicken. Like, I just got to go there because it's a South Dallas staple. I love Williams Chicken so much that every time I went, I had the worst customer service I ever had in my life. I'm talking about like people mad I showed up at their business. Like, <laughs> like I showed up at their house and asked them for some chicken. It's like, no, right. you can work. You got a name tag on. Why are you acting like that? They'd be like, just drive up there and wait. We'll let you know when the we signs stay open. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And yeah. That's I went back the next real, day man. every time. I just kept going because kept that's going back. That's... John, so, do you do that? Like you don't hit up Frenchies, Jimmy Chan, something. Timmy Chan's, yeah. But for me, t- what? Frenchies. I just, Frenchies just holds a special place. It feels like, maybe because I'm not from Houston, it don't, I don't have the same experiences, but I love Frenchies. So Frenchies didn't really hold, yeah, yeah, a special place in my heart. Because as you yeah. know, Houston's so big that if you live on the north side and on the south side, it's like two completely different cities. It's, it's two completely different cities. We didn't have Frenchies on the southwest side. So yeah. that was like a north, northwest side or a third ward thing. Yeah. So all of my homies that went to college there, they had it. But I moved away when I was 18 yeah. and I never moved back. So now I go back and people ask me all the time, you know, where's the best place to get this? And it's uh, I go back home and everything around where I grew up changed. Yeah. yeah. Funplex got a gate on it. Yeah, yeah I, I'm trying to get some B-roll for a joint that we did. It's like, why is there a gate here? So yeah. I go back home and I feel very like this is home because I like grew up here. But yeah, it's very apparent like, oh, this is not your home. Like the place that you grew up is no more. Yeah. There's something different. Yeah. So. Part of why, I like, like one of the intro conversation like that is, I guess yeah. you, T. Dot, when you 
when you have these feelings of the things I love about this life, you know, like when I think about you, bro, there's so much, I got so much grace in your life. Yeah. Part because I've known you for a long time. Also, yeah. every time I talk to you, I learn something new about you also. <laughs> Even though I've known you for, so I've known you for more years of my life than I did it. That's how long yes. I've known you. Yes. And yet every time I'm around you, I'm like, wait, you was in a rodeo? You know, it always be the most random <laughs> stuff. Be like, wait, what? You used to work for President Bush? It'd be like all the stuff you never expect. Um, but no. when I, you know, like I've seen so much grace on your life, you know, mm. your your amazing family, your amazing career as an artist. Yeah, bro. Um, bro, I, you know, your intelligence, all the stuff you continue to do. Like it for me, I see grace on your life. And yet there's also been a lot of hardship. And so I, I guess one of my questions is, how do you think about this like not being our final home? Because we could talk about it in a way that's doesn't really mean anything. It just means one day it'll be better. But does the idea that our citizenship is in heaven, does that impact how you move through life in general? I mean, before we can start talking about loss, just on a day-to-day basis, does that? Yeah. How you live? Um, it, it's, it's always a, um, it's always an asterisk to my day, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it's not the thing at forefront for me and maybe it should be more, but it's not the thing at forefront in my thought. But it is always like this asterisk, the same way that um, the, the two the, the two main concepts that stood out to me the most as a young Christian when I first got saved was to look to the hills from which cometh your help and me going, you know, I ain't know my Bible. I was like, what hills? What are they talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like, I was really confused, but I was like, God, I'm looking for you. Where do I look? But the 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 draw that I needed to have to go seek the Lord where he is versus um, getting caught up with what I see that stood out. And then also this, this idea that Peter spoke about of like, we're just sojourners passing through. Like that's always an asterisk in my mind when I think about my daily life and being a believer, trying to, to engage in a certain way in this world. And so, um, I think for me, that led me to say everyday living, my affections are going to have to be in check because there's a lot of stuff here that is enjoyable, just not even from a fleshly standpoint, just a a pleasure standpoint. It is enjoyable to just like for me, when I come from outside into air conditioning, Mm -hmm. that is enjoyable. (laughs) That's one of the greatest feelings, bro. It's one of the most amazing. I don't know why we don't have an AC holiday. Like whoever made Mm -hmm. that, they need their own holiday, bro. <laughs> Conditioning is in, it's so amazing. I'm like, I get why people was angry at each other in the 70s, man. They had no AC to go into. Everybody had window units or nothing at all. No central air. I was like, yo, this changed the game for life. I'm like, so I'm. there are things that I enjoy on earth. And yet Can I know there's more examples. Asterisk. Oh, yeah, I got you. I got you. The asterisk. Like Hamilton, this surprised me and Lecrae. You know what I'm saying? We, like, like I watch Hamilton and I appreciate the art. And I'm like, oh man, let me, I mean, he, it's just bars. And the King, especially like, it, that's fire. King is amazing. I, I haven't watched it. I don't watch it or listen to it in the morning while getting ready. But that leads me back to you, Tadashi. <laughs> hey, John, so listen, 
you know how Trip is like asking a sincere question with tons of shade attached to it. Oh yeah, like it's a gift of his, bro. It's a gift. Like so, I I I don't know how many people know this, but I love musical theater. Not all musical theater, because some of it is is on a level of cheesiness I don't enjoy. Nevertheless, I know for some people, all of it is cheesy. However, Hamilton. Um, I think the main reason I got into Hamilton was because it humbled me. Like, um, I, I saw that and I was like, man, look at these people who don't rap doing rap. Like, they just, you know, coming in, co-opting the culture for Broadway. Like, what what Black person running Broadway? Man, forget them, man. Yeah. And then I sat down and watched it. And I, I already understood a little bit about musical theater, being a theater student and all this other stuff. But when I, when I watched it, I was so impressed with, the storyline, the dancing, the plotting, the, the way they use that set, the songs themselves. Then I started reading about Hamilton and I was like, now what a great depiction of my man's life. So I watch it every day, almost every day. Like, oh, but you think, oh, all right. Oh, dad, he said every day. Yeah, and every day, I, bro. <laughs> look, just said, just look yeah. at you. No, nah, this was me, this is me and Cray. When he and Lecrae was a little more aggressive with his surprise, but yes, yes. he's like, bro, what type of dude is you? Uh, <laughs> but I will say day, I'm, I'm disappointed by your answer because you're such a thoughtful person that I can't even laugh anymore because you talked about how it encouraged you and you took like a good life lesson from it. So. I did. It moved me, man. Now, now on the surface, life. on the surface, you just see a you know a big dude with 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 braids and you know he got he a little country, but he also mixed. And then you go like, what are you doing? Like Lecrae for real. Lecrae was like Hamilton. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Man, you mixed for real, bro. Like, it was like, do mixed people just like musical theater? Like, what are you trying to say? Like, it was yeah, hilarious. Yeah, about this. My, uh, to actually, my introduction to you was musical theater. You and my brother were in the Wiz. We was in the Wiz together. That's how yes. we met. Him yes. and Sam were in the Wiz at Sam Houston State. Tadashi, you was in the Wiz? I was in a production of the Wiz. And this is, this, is, this is what I'm talking about. Every time I talk to you, bro, I learn some other random fact. This is 20 years ago. Bro, this I've was. seen you easing on down the road even now. Easing on down the road, bro. Okay, I'm sorry. I put us on a tangent, uh, though. You were about to say stuff you enjoy in the asterisk. Yes, 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 in the asterisk. So uh, Hamilton, uh, musical theater, but music just in general. Music is and not that these things can't exist in, in heaven or exist in eternity, but to, to know that they are experienced in a certain way here with nostalgia and experiences that go back a certain ways, like those things matter in a, in a big way that make me want to be here. And then I know we're going to talk about lost some, but to be honest, one of the biggest, like one of the biggest examples is my kids. Yeah. Um, and just knowing that one day they're going to be here and I'm not like, that is a, that is a, I won't say struggle anymore, but it's definitely still a, a hard thing to to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Um, to think that, man, my relationship with my kids is temporal. Now, it may be eternal to some extent, but for all intents and purposes, like my engaging of them in the way I do now is temporal. And I just kind of go, man, that's different than, oh, my kids grew up and moved out. That's I'm not here anymore to to be touched, to be experienced, to be spoken to. And that 
just the thought of that is is weird to me and it's a struggle. And if I'm honest, that's probably one of the main struggles that make me want to remove the asterisk, remove the, the consideration of eternity or not living, that this world is not my home, my final home. So it, it, it's, it's, it's tough in that regard. Yeah. And so for you then, even as you, I mean, it's, it's a good leader and you talk about your kids. Mm-hmm. And so for people that don't know, can you talk about Chase and then talk yeah. about how the reality of eternity and even that our citizenship is in heaven, how that, you know, has impacted how you navigate it. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know, uh, my wife, Danielle, and I, we have four boys. Three are here with us now. And one of them, my second son, Chase, uh, passed away in in March of uh, 2013. He was uh, one year and one week old. And uh, I tell everybody, of course, you know, that was the hardest day of my life. I was coming home from an event, found out about what happened over the phone and as I landed back in Dallas and then rushed home and connected with Danielle. And the the next few days or moments were very surreal because it's just you you anyone who's gone through any kind of loss can relate. Like you just don't know how to make that make sense when for so long a person was a part of your world or the dreams of what could be with that person were a part of your life. And you just go, well, what do I do now? How do I, how do I move? What do I how do we relate? How do I engage again? What do I do? Um, <clears throat> and so for the longest time, the thought of eternity was a an offense. I was like, so now I got to wait to get to there to be with him again? Like, for real? Mm-hmm. Well, that's lame. And without proper perspective, I feel as though I would have just punted the idea of it altogether, honestly, because hurt was driving me that much to to want to ignore what I, what I believed most of my life. And so um, I feel like one of the things that makes my kids a struggle of leaving them now, the ones that are here still living, um, is this idea of one, I don't want them to feel the loss that I felt. Like that was, that was really hard. <clears throat> but then two, um, my, well, at the time, Jaden was the oldest son and then there was Chase and the other two weren't born yet. But Jaden was the sense of normalcy in my life. When grief was throwing me around and having its way with me, uh, Jaden was the thing that centered me again and brought me back to reality because he needed a dad. He needed normal stuff. Hey, dad, I'm hungry. Hey, daddy, can we go play? Hey, daddy, is where's the water? Daddy, can you help me get my toy? Daddy, can you? And in all the moments that I wanted to check out, he would make me check back in to go be who I was again. and. So even in that moment, um, you know, I don't have this, you know, as a dad with sons, I don't have this thing in me like my son can play football and he's going to be amazing and I'm going to live through him and what he does. I'm more so in a different way, like, man, I I don't want to lose any of you. So why would I leave you? Well, the thought of leaving you is sad to me. So that dependence, in a sense, or codependence of like, Jaden, thanks for giving me normalcy. Let's let me stay at the, like the depth that went to let, let's maintain that right. has been a wrestle to to remove because I'm like, you're growing up and you're not going to stay that four year old who needed me so much. And you're about to be a teenager and you're not going to look to me the same way you did. So the thought of the thought of that change is difficult. But then to know, like one day I'm leaving you, that's where the wrestle really comes in. And so 
I have to then go back to the thought of scripture and just going, man, I'm just passing through. Like this isn't my home for real. And I know in that moment, there should be a level of joy, but grief has kind of tainted that some. And so in your song, um, Stone, you talk about um, this idea. How did the bar go? You said, um, can't live for profit, they pay us. Uh, Live like the prophet Isaiah. Right, right. My hopes and later, but I grind now, it's layers. And I was like, that's my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my life. It's like I'm living for later. Yes, I know as a Christian, I'm living for later, God. But man, it's layers to this. Like if y'all could just see how the the wrestle and the strength I gotta have to live for later, when now is so much more precious to me. Like it is. This is a different world out here. So you saying that, bro? It was. It was like. I mean, of course, I'm just impressed by the lyricism, but it's still just like. He's lived through it. He knows, like, yo, it's layers to this. I want to go there. I long for that in my heart of hearts, knowing that it's the right thing to do. But man, it's hard to do that some days when here feels so much comforting because it's it's been also filled with so much hardship and loss. So I hope it makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Chapter three, can't just wait. I think sometimes people assume like, oh, if I say, here's my friend Tadashi and his, you know, his understanding that this life isn't all there is, has helped him to navigate some of the difficulties of his life. Mm -hmm. I think they would assume that what I meant was when he's reminded of that, it becomes easy for him to make it through or he just reminds himself of that and then it's coasting from there. Mm -hmm. What I would love people to hear is, especially for somebody like you, Tadashi, who, you know, in part because of the stuff you've gone through, you have worked really hard at being in a healthy place. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's hard for people to put together the, just like what we're saying, my hopes in later, but we grind right now. It's later. Yeah. Like the, oh, not only do I remind myself of these truths, but there's also hard work I do beyond that to help that sink in in a real way. Yeah, bro. In my heart that blocks that truth from sitting where it should. Can you yeah. talk about some of the other stuff that, yeah, that, that, yeah, just to help people think of how do I navigate all this difficulty while trying to grab onto that truth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, let me say this for people watching. Um, I don't want there to be, I would hope for people, they wouldn't live with a level of guilt or shame because they're conflicted about maybe their passions for this earth or this world is greater than it should be. Um, There's a a level of love and appreciation for what I have, and that doesn't need to be tainted or marred by the idea that maybe I'm loving here too much. Um, I I wanna help kind of free some people in that level, because I lived with that shame of like, but I'm supposed to be longing for heaven, but God, it's been so rough here. I just want some good days. Like when the good right, days do right. happen, God, mm-hmm. I, I love it here when the good days happen. So um, I've had to kind of, you know, and I hope this answers your question. I've kind of had to shift from when the good days happens, that means this place is good. So I want to, I want more of this place, but I had to shift it to realize like when the good days come, those good days are from my God in heaven 
who will give me those days for eternity when I'm with him. Right, right. It's just hard to 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 really realize that when it's not um, tangible to your senses. That's, I think, where the real stress struggle comes in for me. But I'm like, no, even if it's not tangible, I do believe every good and perfect gift come from, from the Lord, from, from the Lord on high. And so I'm like, I gotta be able to notice when this day was good, when, when me and my kids had fun and I, I feel like there was enough moments with them that they'll have memories in these good memories from these times. And I feel like, man, I was able to do something for them that I longed to do for them, or I was able to help guide with words or, you know, even discipline, like just, I've done something to love you well. I want that to, and that seems like it will be lasting for you. Yeah. What a good day. And God, if this is, if, if, if this, if this horrible version of, of living on this earth has moments like this, then when we get to the utopian idea of where you will be for eternity, where we're with you, how much better will it be? And that, that, I, that question right there, how much better? <clears throat> That had that was a wrestle to get to, um, and I and I think not not for everybody probably, but for me, it was a wrestle because I'm like, well, God, you know, like everybody, really, God, this bad thing happened in my life. How could you let that be a thing? Why would this be a thing? I don't understand it. So if this thing can happen to me here, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to be nowhere near you. And in my darkest moments, that's what I thought and felt until I realized. I was assigning God all the blame and forgetting all the blessing. I was assigning God all of the bad and never stopping to go, but what is the good that you've given me, God? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I get it because some things are just heavy. Like losing a kid is heavy. Losing family members, a brother or whoever, man, is heavy, a father. And you're just like, okay, God, this is heavy. And I, I still got to look through this heaviness to see the 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 yoke that you've given me is lighter still than what I would have been carrying. Like, I don't know, God. But when I think about the feeling of, and not to not to minimize it, but when I think about the feeling of, and I wasn't capping, like when I get home and I get into the AC, I take my shoes off, I sit down, I turn on the show, my kids come sit around me. Home, ain't no place like home. And if right. that is real for here, how much more is it real for us who are sojourning to get to him? And and that was the final, I think, thing that made me go, this asterisk needs to remain because I don't ever want to lose that. Now, I know some people view that and they think about it from a stay away from sin standpoint or like protect myself from whatever. And you can do that, but I don't want to minimize God's goodness just to my shortcomings. Like, well, God is good and I need to remember that because I don't want to fall into sin. It's like, no, I want to get closer to him. And if I don't, if I lose sight of his goodness, when the bad does happen, it's going to overwhelm me. I got to make sure I'm focused on that goodness. So ain't no place like home. I'm, I got to remember that when it comes to the fact that I'm just passing through. That's good. I have two more questions to ask. Um, yeah. We, um, one is, can you just real briefly like talk about the role that therapy has played mm, and amen. you and your family being in a really good, healthy place um, while still longing for a home, wanted to be good here and just, yeah. Yeah. 
when when Christ spoke about an abundant life that he was giving us, I know that that was um, that can be spiritualized into meaning things of eternity um, experienced on earth. But I believe even in my everyday living, Christ is wanting me to experience the shalom that God can bring into the life of a Christian. In order for me to experience shalom, I had to surrender. And a lot of times when it came to therapy, I wasn't willing to surrender. I wasn't willing to say, okay, I'm one of 7 billion. I don't know everything. I don't have the monopoly on God, peace, grace, whatever. What can I do outside of myself? And it was really friends who kept telling me, it's therapy, bro. You need to go to therapy. And when I went, I didn't realize that I was cracked in certain places and needed mending. Hmm. And and my my just trying harder wasn't going to get the job done. But I needed someone skilled in the art of therapy and walking with people in mental health crises to say, hey, let me let me be the friend that you need that you didn't know you needed. Right. Like that is what my therapist has become. You know, and we're not they're not buddy, buddy. Like, I don't know where they live. I don't go over their house or nothing. But it's like it's like, yo, but you're a friend. You're an ear. You're a voice of reason and wisdom in a moment when I didn't even know I needed that. And you right. do it in a way so skilled. I didn't even realize that I was lacking in some of these things when it comes to having something that I needed. And so to, to wrap it up, like in a pretty bow, therapy provided me the tools I needed and helped me to lay down the tools I no longer needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, all I knew- say a little bit more about what you mean by the tools you no longer yeah, need. Yes, for sure. <clears throat> um, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry, who's a neurologist and a psychologist, he says um, in his book, he did a book with Oprah, Winf- Oprah Winfrey, What Happened to You? Uh, he says, when, when we go through traumatic events, we every human naturally reverts back to the reptilian part of their brain, the part of your brain, the smallest part of your brain, where all of your base level behaviors exist. So at the moment of trauma, every person reverts back to what it was like when they were six and they were just like fight or flight. What do I do? And you respond in a way that you can't really formulate because you're in that part of your brain. You can't get to the frontal lobe to formulate adult coherent mature thoughts. You're just responding in in a knee-jerk reaction. In a knee-jerk reaction, every human reverts back to the reptilian part of their brain. That's what psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists say. When that happens, you're not able to formulate coherent thoughts. You're you're able to do what what, what you know, what you grew up with, what you saw in your base level, youngest parts of your life. So if his his research and and teachings are true, um, which most would agree with, when I'm going through a traumatic moment, I revert back to what I saw when I was a kid, what was normal and typical for what I grew up. And for me, what I saw growing up, when people went through hard stuff, they dismissed it, they ignored it, they isolated, they stayed to themselves, they drank a lot, they smoke a lot, they <clears throat> they seek pleasure and escape a lot. And I, I unknowingly reverted back to that, that was in me. Yeah. And what I needed to do was surrender enough to say, hey, therapist, you're saying this about me, but I wouldn't naturally choose that. And she's like, you're right. You wouldn't choose that, but your body is reverting naturally back to those things as a safety mechanism. You need to be aware of that so you can do something different. And it took me acquiring new tools 
to be able to say, "Uh oh, I feel myself regarding back time to implement breathing control time to implement moments of meditation time to implement. Let's run to the scriptures and not just read to be spiritual, but actually look through the text at verses that promise peace and a mind that God will keep in perfect peace, which surpasses all understanding. I had to fight in those moments to not revert back because in those moments I'm a run. I'm going to be self, I'm going to be pleasure seeking, self-centered, and I won't really be able to formulate coherent thoughts. And so I had to lay down those tools as best I could and pick up new tools that would prevent me from going back to that place. Because when I do, my family suffers, my friends suffer, my community suffers, everything else suffers. And I had to stop and go back. And so therapy has literally changed my life. I, I believe I t- last October, I know God gave me a breakthrough. And I know that's a spiritual thing that can happen, but I know I got there partly because I did therapy yeah. and that breakthrough put me in a place to where the, the bitterness and resentment and the anger I had toward God and other people, it just washed away. And those tools that I had, like in grief, I got so worried about not being good enough for the people who said I needed to be strong in my faith. And I got so worried about the people who was like, hey, man, you don't look so good. What you doing? That I started to put up walls and isolate myself. But that's me going back to what I saw growing up. And pretty soon I was in such an unhealthy place because no one knew where I was. No one was talking with me. I wasn't talking to them. By the time it was all said and done, I was having suicidal thoughts and not knowing why. And I was like, therapy was the thing that helped me to recognize it most not just to over-spiritualize it and say Satan's busy. I mean, he was, but it was also like, hey, naturally what you saw growing up, that's in you. You're going to have to do work to dig that up. And so the therapist gave me new tools to be able to do that. It's amazing. <laughs> I would love to know, you know, especially as we start to talk about grief and all that stuff, I think so often, you know, people can feel like, or they can hear you talk and say, yo, it's been nine years, right? I would love to get, to the place that he's gotten and they would use you as some barometer or a finish line for what to do with grief. Can you just talk about how living with that grief, that enduring grief that's still there, just talk about how maybe that's textured the relationship that you have with the Lord or the relationship you have with Danielle? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is a great question, by the way. Um, Um, I definitely, and I say this, I think with a level of humility and grace, I don't ever want to try to communicate to someone that my grieving ended because time has passed. Um, this is something that I live with every day. Uh, I read this book called the body keeps the score and it talks about how trauma remains in the body long after the event has taken place. And, um, he likened losing a loved one to losing a limb. And how soldiers that come back from war wake up with a missing leg, but it feels like they have leg pain when they wake up until they look down and realize, oh, wait. And it's like their body still remembers that. They feel that. I still wake up with days thinking I'm going to go pick him up. I still wake up with days looking and going, man, Jaden's 12. Chase would be 10. Like he'd have somebody in his age bracket playing with him right now. I still wake up looking at Danielle and going like, I mean, I think Danielle's an amazing woman. Why does she have to go through that? Like, that's just, and then a mom, like, why would you, she carried and birthed this kid and now he gone, like that ain't right. And so all of those things are still there and they're real. 
And what I have to do, even when it comes to the least that texture, my relationship with the Lord, like I have to go to God and remember with everything in me and believe that it's valid, that my personable savior understands and recognizes what it means to be forsaken and, and left for left by everyone but the Lord, his father. And I have to look at the father and go, but you know what it is to sacrifice as well. Yeah. Lord, let that be a comfort today. And so the work for this to still be a fight to hold on to what God says is true, still very real. Um, The grief is still very real. The difference is, though, and I think this is what I think in a shallow way, when people say um, time heals all wounds, I think that's a very um, ambiguous and shallow statement to really just communicate over time. You've learned how to live with it. Like it didn't heal the wound. I'm still wounded, but I've learned how to live with my wound. And there are days that I'll have to attend to my wound and there are days that I won't. But to say that it's healed is a a misnomer, in my opinion. I think you just learn to live with it. It's amazing. In 15 seconds or less, what's another weird Tadashi fact that people don't know about (laughs) your life? Something you did, a past life. I love how intrigued you are about that. That's so funny. Because to me, it's part of why you are the most interesting man in the world. Because you've lived so many lives. I have, bro. I have. But to me, that's why you are you. Like, all the stuff is like, she's so unique. It's like. Range, bro. Yeah, range. That's right. So um, in Houston, Texas, I went to TSU to visit um, an event and ended up walking up and meeting my cousin who was there working for Tavis Smiley. And I ended up becoming friends with Tavis Smiley and hanging out with him and having meals and learning from him. And he is one of the reasons why I fell in love with being a communicator. He, I didn't realize he was a PhD with, with literature and English and all that. He, he, I mean, he's a super intelligent man, went through the Me Too issues, <clears throat> excuse me, Me Too issues and all that. But for me as a, a young black man growing up looking for role models, Tavis was definitely one of them, bro. And I just remember thinking to myself, I get to meet all my heroes at some point in life. Mm-hmm. And so God has always been able to grace me with that. But that's one of the biggest for me is I got to go to D.C. and meet Tavis Smiley, Houston, Tavis Smiley. And I went to D.C. and I met Connie Chung, Ted Koppel, Dan Rather, all these newscasters, bro. I this love is, that. But this is exactly it. This is, really, this is exactly it. And the same, the reason I just said to LaCroix, we held you back in life. You were supposed to do much greater things <laughs> than be running around with us rapping. Uh, bro, thank you so much. Listen, thank bro, you, bro. Thank you, man. Really Thank y'all so much, man. I appreciate y'all, man. This was enjoyable. The In Those Podcast is presented by Our Daily Bread's Voices Collection. And that Voices Collection is meant to share black Christian stories of faith um, through resources and conversations, all Bible-centered, to help try to make God's word understandable for everybody and accessible to everybody. So if you want to know more about Our Daily Bread's Voices Collection, you can go to experiencevoices.org.